Hello, welcome to episode 8 of our Dear Children podcast. Excited to have you back with us as we finish up this first season. Today we're going to get a chance to dive into 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. We're going to get to marvel at the love that God has for us and explore a little bit more of what that love means for us and how we can think about that love. We'll jump in with 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Start off with 1 John 3, verse 16, helping us to identify what love is. We get a very clear example and almost a definition of love, and that is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And immediately tied into how we know what love is, is that action. That on account of Jesus' love for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When I think of love, it's something that we start with this understanding maybe of this mushy, this feeling, this emotion inside of us. Then we want to evolve that understanding and we want to talk about love as an action. But as I read through this, it seems like even more than an action, that there's more to it than just saying love is an action. But here we we get more to it than just that. And I think, you know, maybe starting off too, you see how God is giving us more than that, just that. Um, He had before and leading up to this section had said through John, we should love one another. Then he doesn't just leave us hanging. Okay, go love. But then he very much shows us what that is. He's equipping us, and it's by really equipping us through really his action, what he's done, and then what that means for our life. Not just, okay, here's an example, but here is really why you can love. You know, as far as what is love, it's one of those things that we know it when we see it. We know it when we experience it. It's hard to define Um, maybe think of it, you know, as some sort of display of affection. Um, you can think of many different kinds of love. You can think about the love as far as parents for their children. You can think about the love of close friends. You can think about the love of spouses. Um, you can think about just brotherly kind of love. There's lots of different kind of love out there. And here God is simply saying, you love love and so what is love i mean that's i think maybe the big question that john is addressing here what is love and this is how you know what love is 
one of the concepts that John clearly shares with love is the sacrificial nature of it um, and pointing at that example of Jesus. And when we think of that sacrifice, I think we have to identify it as something that was not fair in, in any way, that Jesus gives up his life, um, that he had no reason to die, there was no guilt that that he had, but instead he does this for us. And I think the other part of that for us as receiving it is to identify that there's nothing that is of value about me to Jesus. There's nothing about me that he needs. And when we are able to identify, one, that Jesus didn't deserve this, and two, that there's nothing redeemable about us in and of ourselves, we can start to grasp an idea of what love is. We didn't deserve this. There's nothing redeemable in us. In no way is Jesus obligated to do this. Mm -hmm. That's love. He laid down. It's not like it's not like his hand was forced. He laid it down freely. He laid it down for us. And so, okay, love is something that is freely given. It's not under compulsion. And that, to me, is one of the, the biggest struggles with understanding God's love for us and our own love. I think just to be real and to personally evaluate, I find in my life, like, that compulsion is all, is behind almost all the love that I show. And it's embarrassing to say that, but it's so true. That there is something that is motivating that outside of outside of God's outside of the way that God talks about his love, which is not motivated by that. You can feel some sort of sense of duty as to why you need to act in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a completely free love. Not that you wouldn't say, Oh yeah, I want to, but I also feel like in this situation, this is now why I need to. Right. But yet that's not God's love. And then he said, okay, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so the love that God moves us to do is a love that is completely free. And I think, you know, two sides of that coin, not that you're going to get anything in return and not that you feel like you have to. It's probably good in that sense too then to identify who are our brothers and sisters in in this part. Um, We're not just talking about family members. I think that's pretty clear. Um, So when we try to identify, okay, we're supposed to lay down our lives for these brothers and sisters, who are we talking about? You know, I think obviously as John is writing to believers, and that's who the natural way he's been calling brothers and sisters, these are people of the faith. And this is not saying that you don't show love to those who aren't. God speaks about that in many different places. And how he shows love. And you even think about that, really, as Christ laid down his life, it was when we were outside of his family. But now, being in it, okay, we're call, we can call each other brothers and sisters because we are children of God. And a special love that comes as we are united in God's family. That's, I think, important to see that there is a a difference there, and that's not to remove love um, from those relationships that we have that are outside of the faith, but to see that it is special. I think that idea of love as an action does get driven home here, that that is a part of it. Um, Just this idea that, okay, if you see someone who is in need, you're not just going to shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, I care about you, I love you. Clearly don't love them if you don't 
And it's you're pointing this out, and I think it's really important. It's not saying you need to give them something, but the passage tells us that if you don't have pity on them. And maybe too, as far as tying into who we're talking about, you see that special love. It says, see a brother or sister in need. Once again, not that we shouldn't be showing love to all we see in need. God encourages us in many other places where to do that. But that special love, when we see our fellow Christian in need, oh, that most definitely will stir emotions of love. And that idea, that pity. Who of us would not be feeling something for that person? That here they need help. And it's going to move us you know, not just to love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, what those actions are, that's another question probably worth exploring. That, and it, it does tell us that that's something that the actions that we take to show love are ones that we, we want to pray about. We want to try to grasp um, how to do that. We love is that guiding thing, but that's going to look different from different people in different situations. There's not a uniform. Okay, this is this is always what this looks like, which I think is important to to recognize that it's not. Um, so I see someone who is in need. It doesn't mean that okay, what I have to do is give them ten dollars from my wallet. But identifying that no, there are many other ways. The key here is that you are looking at that person, identifying, having pity on them, um, being motivated by that love for Christ, and then acting in some way. The way you show the love, each scenario is going to drive you in a direction. Mm -hmm. And you maybe too, the first thing you recognize that you seal. Yeah. You seal. That requires us to do something that we don't, by nature, want to do. And so easily we get um, blinded by ourselves. Um, we, we become focused on ourselves. And if I'm focused on myself, I can't see you. I can't love you. And maybe tying, too, as well. You know, as John says, don't just love them with words or speech. But in order to see them, maybe we have to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe that means we need to be more engaged with people to actually be able to see what needs they have, to see what ways we can show love to them, to have, to be able to have the opportunities to have pity for their circumstance. How can you have that love if you don't even know? Right, right. That speaks again to that love is, is for others. Um, and it, it helps us to remove our sinful nature, our tendency to look at ourselves with this. Maybe again, it highlights too, that as we see people our brothers and sisters have needs. You see, once again, how God is showing. This is what you know. We have to be able to see to know. Look how we know what love is. God saw. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. Christ knew. And knew exactly what we needed. Maybe it's worth mentioning just a thought, as he says, let us not love with words and speech. That's not John's way of saying, okay, now you don't need to express words of love it's not saying discouraging that either but simply don't stop there that's not enough you know what it's something too as far as mentioning love it's been put out there those five love languages and i can't remember them all off the top of my head but you get a few of them as far as deeds of service words of affirmation gifts giving gifts and i can't think of the other two now but 
you see, love shows itself in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Love is not something that just does in one aspect. And too often, maybe, we find ourselves that we, you know, recognizing God's created us all differently, different personalities, but we can tend to all of a sudden fall too much in one way, in one area, in our, er- in our ways of expressing love. And, and maybe the area is, okay, we simply, you know, we say these, say words, we express, yes, our care, our concern, but then it stops. And John is urging us, no, love shows itself in a variety of ways. After all, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now think about that. Did God just tell us he loves us? No. He did tell us he loves us. He absolutely tells us multiple times throughout the pages. The scripture proclaims his love for us. No, but what did God do? What is love? Jesus Christ laid down. He sacrificed. He offered service, a work of service, a gift of giving himself. The love of God comes from so many different angles to touch us in so many different ways, not just in one avenue. May our love do the same. As we go on to verse 19, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That idea of truth is brought up here, belonging to the truth. It's something that is, I think, at odds with our society, with our culture of trying to appease to, okay, like just everything is truth or everything fits into that. So it very much points to the truth. Um, and we're able to identify we belong to the truth as as the faith, as the gospel of Christ. Um, and also to see that rest in his presence. That is something that, that rest is something that brings us joy to know that, okay, this is taken care of. Um, we have rest in that. I think some of the, just amazingly comforting words we find in verse 20 um, and these are words to, to share amongst ourselves um, as, as we may be overwhelmed with guilt that helps us to see if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And that I think gives us peace in knowing, okay, there are times that my guilt, whatever it is, overwhelms us. Okay, but God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And there, I think, now we have to ask ourselves the question, too, of what is truth? What is truth? As we've been looking, okay, God is telling us what is love and saying mm-hmm. this is how you know. We also know this is what truth is in that we need to live in the truth because we do belong to, know that we belong to truth by what God proclaims. It proclaims his love, that he is greater than our hearts, that no matter how our sin may plague us, something we've done in the past that, you know, it never goes away in our minds. God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than any kind of love our hearts may pour out. God is greater than any kind of accusation our hearts may give against us. That's his love. It, it serves, too, I think, as this 
this caution with our emotions, not that our emotions aren't a tremendous blessing from God that do help, but it, it does remind us that our emotions can lead us astray at times. Um, they can lead us into situations that our, our emotional status is not this king, this servant that we follow, but instead that, yeah, our emotions get confused at times. And with those emotions that can confuse, I mean, you see this truth here, what God says, because our hearts do not condemn us, because God's greater hearts, we have confidence. Whether you feel like you're confident or not, mm -hmm. you have confidence. That's the truth. Confidence before God. Confidence before God that to go to Him in prayer, to receive from Him the things we ask. And John says, because we keep His commands and do what He pleases. Now, is John all of a sudden making what we receive or our prayers based upon how we live? And you can take this out of context and start to think of it as that. If you just read verse 22, and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, you might scratch your head. You might say, can I open my Bible to that section so we can read it together? And I think that's a good approach. Because honestly, as we've been reading through this section, like that idea of this being conditional seems so foreign. It doesn't seem like that is at all what's going on here. Um, and it becomes pretty apparent based on the context of what we read that, no, this is not conditional. This is not something that God is saying, okay, because of the good things that you've done, I'm going to give you everything you ask. But instead, we see this flow along with this description of who we are as Christians. Yeah, and when we ask, as children of God, ask for the things of God, we have complete confidence. God is going to bless us the things that are belong to him. When we ask God to give us spiritual blessings, when we ask him to increase our faith, to give us understanding, to pour out the peace of his forgiveness upon us, you don't have to include the words, if it is your will. Because it is. That's what his will is. You don't have to add those words. It's repetitious. It's redundant. I laugh just because I, I know that I do this fairly frequently. And it, it, it is... It's redundant. It's ridiculous because obviously, yeah, God, we don't have to say if this is your will because we know it's his He's will. He's told us it's his will. Right. And so you're going to receive from him anything you ask. Now, he's going to give it in his way using the people, using the things in your life, how he wants what's going to be best for you. He's going to give it in his time. But you have confidence you're going to receive it. And, you know, as John points here, he says because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. It's not a condition based upon how well you've been obeying the Ten Commandments. No, what is John doing here? He's pointing to the truth again. The truth of who you are as a child of God. You do keep his commands. You do what pleases him. Because that's what children of God do. As we've seen before, everyone who does what is right has been born of God, of God, of Him. John is simply pointing to evidence that this is also true. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Not how we know if we belong, that, that we do belong to the truth. The truth that God has given us peace, rest for our hearts because He is greater in His love. The truth that He gives us what we ask according to His will. The truth that we do what pleases Him. I think too often we forget that. For sure. It also, I think, brings us to a little bit of 
um, something of a, a logical headache in our minds based on some of the strong statements if we tie in some of our previous episodes and we we tie this in that we are children of God, that we, we do what is right, we do these things, and yet at the same time we look at our sinful nature and we see that the other things that John talked about, we also identify with those. And that's something that in our minds we don't want to, it just doesn't make sense, but yet what we see proclaimed here is our nature, that we are both sinner and saint at the same time. And that is a huge key really, when it comes to seeing what God tells us throughout the pages of Scripture. I mean, it's law, both law and gospel together. The law, because we are still sinners, the gospel, that he has made us a saint. And you see that as he's emphasizing what we are as saints, that's what uplifts us. That's what gives us the peace that, you know, it's a, it's a law passage that tells us all our righteous acts are like filthy wrecks. It's true. That is true too. This truth of us being a sinner. But it's also true that what we do pleases God. Now it's only because of the gospel because it's through Christ's work. But it's still true that we do obey God. We produce fruits. Jesus proclaims that. We do what is right. John says it here. And so he's pointing to that evidence of that you have confidence that what you ask from God, that the gifts, that those spiritual gifts that he has promised that are his will, that when you ask you to receive them, because you are a saint. You are a holy one. You are a child who does keep his commands, who does what pleases him. Of course God is going to give it to his saints, to his children. And going on in verse 24 to even... I mean, make that even more personal, more intimate, that the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. Um, to say God lives in us and we live in God. This is what's what's talked about here. And that is something that, again, this seems like, how can that be true when I can recognize my, my sins? But we see here, no, this is true. And it's true, and then look to and how God gives that certainty. How do you know? How... And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. That's how you know that this is true. God's given you his spirit. That's how you know that you are in the truth. That's how you know what love is. God's given it. And that is such a confidence booster because it never leaves us asking that question of if I have done enough, if I have done this in the right way because it brings us back to we know it because God. It's not I know it because Matt, but it's I know it because God gave. And it really, you know, as emphasizing here, puts our hearts at rest in his presence. It's this truth, this certainty. We know any other religion in the world, how do you know? But with what God proclaims, the truth, he tells you why you know from what he's done. This is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know. We know it by the spirit he gave us. God makes you know. He makes you know his love, which moves you to love. He makes you know the truth, the truth of what that means of your relationship with him his child, his 
We are his dear children. This concept of sinner and saint has been really an ongoing thing throughout, and we're kind of bringing it to a head here in our last episode, that it's that struggle that at times as sinners we need to hear the law, that we need to be reminded of our sin, reminded that those things are not what children of God, that's not the life. We live with the old man and the new man. The old man, that life of sin, that sinner, yet struggling with the new man. Two lives going at odds. And that's why we feel these tensions. That's why we see John, in some ways, maybe going back and forth, but really it's all connected. And you see really how personal then it ends up being, this message. Because we all are sinners and saints. We all struggle with that at different times in life, really throughout different parts of our days. One may seem to be more in focus than the other. But John comes to address both, to speak to our hearts, to put them at rest, sometimes by calling them out and saying, remember you're a saint. The sinner is getting the upper hand right now. And then other times, too, to remind us, remember you're a saint. Don't be fixated upon the guilt of your sins. A sinner is not who you are. Oh, we still are sinners and saints, but that's not your life. And to see that it always comes down to it, that it's that gospel that drives us, the gospel that moves us to remember that we are God's dear children. We want to leave you with one last kind of conversation thought. And maybe it's this conversation thought connected to sinner and saint. And as you approach and talk with each other, how can being a sinner and saint impact our conversations? And I think maybe the answer is very self-explanatory. Okay, at times the sinner is going to get the upper hand. Their sinful nature will dominate and sin just keeps spiraling. At other times we come in God's grace. But to recognize how John does it and make this effort that he comes always addressing the sinner saints, never forgetting that they're saints, but never forgetting that they're sinners. What does that mean as far as your interactions with each other? What does that mean with your interactions with your spouse, with your co-workers, if they're Christians, with our fellow congregation members? How can, how can we address and interact, converse with each other, knowing that that truth, we're sinners and saints? Sometimes we need warnings. Sometimes we need to be redirected. But always, we're as children of God. Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Dear Children. We hope it's been beneficial to you having these conversations. Really, the whole emphasis of this is that we grow together as we talk to each other. It's how all relationships really flourish and how much more we get to grow together as we listen to God talk to us, as we get to talk about things that God speaks to us. That concludes this series. 
of 1 John 1 to 3. Look for a new series to come out towards the beginning of 2021. And we'll get time to talk more about the rest of John's letter, his first John, and also his other two letters as well, speaking more to dear children. Thanks for joining us.